Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. today don't settle for that feeling of neglect don't settle for abandonment don't settle for confusion or rejection or or just being you know ambivalent about it don't settle for anything less than seeking after um, Jesus and delighting in him and delighting in his presence and finding your rest in him Debbie Wright is the senior pastor with her husband John of Trent Vineyard a large multicultural church in Nottingham they both serve as national directors of vineyard churches in the United Kingdom and Ireland, a church group of over a hundred churches. A former dancer and artist, she's the daughter of the Anglican Bishop David Pitches, who founded the New Wine Network. Debbie's passionate about sharing the gospel, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, healing, and she ministers under a life-transforming prophetic function. Debbie and her husband, John, are blessed with two sons and are grandparents. Please welcome to Pursuit of God 2020, Debbie Wright. Well, it's a huge privilege to be able to speak with you today. And I uh, just want to say greetings from our local church, Trent Vineyard here in Nottingham, and also from the Vineyard Movement here in the UK and Ireland, which my husband, John, and I have the privilege of overseeing. Now, before we start, I'd like us to pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. I ask, Father, that you would anoint me as I speak this message. Open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Amen. Now, the Vineyard Movement began in Anaheim in California, and it began with a couple called John and Carol Wimber. Now, John has since gone to be with the Lord, but Carol is alive today. And their story really began when they hit a major crisis in their marriage. Now, John Wimber was a musician, so he traveled around the country a great deal. And their marriage was at rock bottom. And really, Carol had said she didn't want to be married anymore. She wanted to separate and seek a divorce. And uh, John, having been up all night, he goes out early, early morning to sort of and there he is before the sunrise and he looks up to the sky having absolutely no church background no belief in God or Jesus or understanding of anything Christian he calls out to God God help me save our marriage you've got to do something that was his instinct though he'd never really heard much about God at all within a few hours Carol and he were on the phone and Carol said she would be willing to give their marriage another try now, it wasn't long after that that they both found themselves on their knees, repenting, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, they went on to become uh, members of a local church. They grew in their understanding of the scriptures. They became great Bible teachers. And John went on to be ordained. And later, he went on to become a church growth consultant. Now, during that time, um, they came to a place where they ended up starting a new little group. And the group began to discover intimacy with Jesus. 
and they would sing love songs to Jesus, simple love songs, and the Holy Spirit would come. And after a while, that became a bit of a crisis for their local church because the local church had different values. They didn't really believe in the uh, manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in that way, and they were not, um, they were sort of dispensationalists. They didn't believe in miracles for today. And so they asked uh, John and Carol to leave their church. And John and Carol said, well, we can't leave without your blessing. And they were blessed as they went, and they ended up starting the Vineyard Movement. And there are many, many uh, churches now all over the world called Vineyards, of which we are a part. From crisis, God births new things. Two people's marriage on a crisis situation, and they get saved. They are, there's a new birth there. They hit a crisis with the relationship with their local church, but from that, they are blessed and something new is birthed. God often births new things in a crisis. Now the vineyard went on to multiply, but um, when John Wimber, when he was alive leading the vineyard, he would say, you know, God spoke to me or there was a change of direction. Very often it was that Carol had had a dream or the Lord had spoken to her and she would wake John in the night and tell him what the Lord was saying. So we always knew that Carol was very much the prophetic voice behind the uh, direction of the vineyard. Now, last summer, 2019, before any of us were thinking about this COVID-19 situation we're in, we were in Anaheim in Vineyard and we asked Carol if we could interview her, if we could film her and uh, interview her on the story of the Vineyard and how it began. And she did that beautifully, but then she really wanted to share a prophetic word that she had, not only for the Vineyard, not only for the Vineyard Global, but for any churches, Christians everywhere. And I'm going to read to you um, a transcript of, of what she said. She said this, God needs us in our place for what's coming. I'm not exactly sure what's coming, but I know it's coming. I know it's soon and I know it's huge. It's going to be the whole thing, like nothing we've ever seen before. It's kind of scary and wonderful to think about. You need to get in your place for what God has called you to and do it with all your heart because it's so very important because no one else has been designed to do it like you can do it. And you're the only one he's called. No one else will be able to do what you're called to do because we really are unique, each one of us unique, designed for our place. It's coming and it's going to be so big and so huge and wonderful, but terrible too. We need to be in our place so we can handle the influx because masses of people are going to be brought in. So really what she's saying is for every one of us, wherever you are, as you listen today in your sitting room or your kitchen or your bedroom, as you're listening, this is a word for you. Take your place. Shine for Jesus. You may be a supermarket attender. You may be a porter. You might be a doctor or a police officer, an ambulance driver, a nurse. You might be a judge. You might be um, uh, a businessman with big, difficult decisions to make. You might be in government at the moment. Wherever you are, whoever you are, you may be a stay-at-home parent uh, trying to homeschool your children during lockdown. With all the challenges, the challenge for us as Christians is shining for Jesus in this time. Now, it can be in extraordinary and ordinary ways. My friend Glenda, I was texting her the other day. She's an exceptional cook. She loves to cook. And she told me that she was cooking for the police force, for the NHS, for her neighbours and for her small group. She's taking her place. She's using her gifts to serve people, to shine for Jesus in this time. In this time, many people are going to be asking questions, spiritual questions. 
People are asking questions of, you know, how could this be happening? If God is real, how does he allow suffering? They're asking questions about prayer. Many, many people are turning to prayer. My cleaner, who isn't a follower of Jesus, I was having a conversation with her on the phone and asking how she was. And I said, I'm praying for you. And she said, Debbie, I'm praying. Everybody's turning to prayer right now. And then when I sent her the UK blessing, that wonderful song that I'm sure some of you took part in, um, she received it and she received the blessing and she said, I've sent it to all my friends because she truly was blessed by that worship song. So God is doing something in this time and history and scripture tell us that often new things are birthed from crisis. There is a move of God that happens when a crisis comes. People begin to ask questions. People begin to turn around. Both Christians and non-Christians start to think about what it means to be uh, in relationship with God. And so there's an awakening that is happening in our nation for both Christians and non-Christians. God is the Lord. God is our God. And he is saviour. God is our God. He is God and he is our saviour at this time. Now a passage of scripture during this time that I have taken great solace from is Isaiah 43 and I'm going to read to you verse 2 to 3. This is what he says to the people of Israel. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. An amazing passage which I love and I knew from when I was a child. Now at first you might think that this is a promise that nothing bad is going to happen to us, that we're not going to face trauma or crisis. And uh, I understand that it's not exactly that, as it seems at first, that actually this isn't what that passage is saying. And I understand it from when I was young, because I grew up on the mission field. My parents were missionaries in Chile. And uh, in Chile, we had earthquakes and food shortages and floods and sickness and tsunamis. And there was political upheaval. And during a time of political instability, I remember my parents moved my bed across the room against another wall in case a bullet would come in the window, ricochet around the room. And then if it hit me, it wouldn't be a fatal wound because the, 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 the bullet had taken the, the great sort of um, crisis off the pressure on the bullet. Anyway, um, so we lived in these times. But I, I remember when I was, you know, young, I felt that my parents had such faith and confidence as God, their saviour, that I lived under the shadow, the shelter of that sense of faith and trust. But I remember something shifting when I was about 11. It was a night when there was an earthquake and as was our custom as little girls, we would rush to my parents' bedroom and get into bed with them. And on this occasion, we aligned there with the sheets pulled over our heads as plaster was falling from the ceiling in great chunks all over the bed. And then my father gets out of the bed and he says, I need to go and check on the other missionaries. He was bishop at that time. He was in charge of many of the missionaries. And so he knew that within an hour's drive, he could probably reach many of the missionaries. So he set off and something in me shifted. And I realized that I could not rely on my parents' faith alone, that my father may not come back. And that that night I was going to have to embrace the journey of discovering God for myself, Jesus as my Lord and my savior. God my saviour, as much as he was my parents, was he really mine? And that was a journey that began in, in a great level of seriousness at that time. Now when Isaiah says to us, 
When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. He's speaking to the Israelites, reminding them of what happened when they escaped Egypt. They escaped slavery in Egypt, and then they're facing the Red Sea with a stampede of Egyptians chasing after them. And God miraculously opens the seas. Now, you might think that's brilliant, done, job sorted. But no, can you imagine what it was like not only to have been through those hundreds of years of, of persecution and then running away from the enemy, but now they've got to cross through a river, uh, a, a sea with um, a wall of water that is threatening to come crashing down on them. And step by step, thousands upon thousands, families, children at the breast, um, elderly people, maybe on stretchers, cattle, provisions, walking slowly but surely through to the other side. That must have been a perilous journey, but they did get to safety. God was their saviour. And then when Isaiah speaks of um, going through the fire, going through the flames and not being burned, not being set ablaze, he's speaking and reminding the Israelites and reminding us of what happened to Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego when they were threatened with annihilation by being thrown into a furnace of fire and flame. And uh, they go into that and I, I can well imagine how terrifying that would be. They had no idea that God was going to save them. They knew ultimately God was their God. That was unshaken in their hearts and minds. But they walked into the flames, not backing down from what they believed in terms of their passion to worship God and no other person, no other idol. Um, but they walk into the flame, the fire, the heat, not knowing what's going to happen. And yet God saves them miraculously. And as I was reminding the people of Israel that God, this God who saves is your God. And Isaiah knows himself what it's like to live under persecution and threat. Later, he was um, killed by King Manasseh, who persecuted him and forced him into a log. And was, he was sawn in two. And that's how Isaiah is believed to have died. So despite this uh, threat over his life, he was able to say to the Israelites about God, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Now, I believe this to be true. And I believe that my childhood prepared me for seasons like the one that we're in. But never did I experience a trauma like the one I'm going to um, tell you about now. So um, John and I, we were training in South East London Vineyard with John Mellon and Mumford, who were starting the first vineyard here in the UK. And my husband was training at London Bible College and I was busy with my two little boys. And we were doing everything to help the church grow from a small group to several hundred people. And we were having a marvellous time. And every so often we would pray to the Lord, when do you want us to go to Nottingham? That's where we had lived when we were first married. That's where I had been a student. We felt a great sense of calling to Nottingham. But the Lord was quite silent over the timing. And so we had decided to to uh, settle in London, to continue to help John and Eleanor. And vineyards by then were, were being planted around the country. And we were very um, thrilled to be able to serve John and Eleanor at that time, as they were the directors of the vineyard movement here in the UK and Ireland. And um, so we moved and we settled. And then one day I had a phone call from my friend, Michelle, and she asked if I could give her a lift to church the next day. And we had two cars, so I said, yes, absolutely. And I went to pick Michelle up maybe 10 minutes before John left our house with our two boys. And I picked Michelle and her two children up and we set off for church. 
And on the way to church, I took a right-hand turn across traffic lights and I didn't see the oncoming car. And the oncoming car crashed into mine. My car rolled over and little Rachel, Michelle's daughter, was killed. And it was terrible. It was terrible. It was devastating for Michelle. No one prepares you to lose your child. It was devastating for the church to hear the news that Debbie's been in an accident, the cars rolled over, little Rachel's fighting for her life. It caused a traffic jam, a helicopter had to come and, and lift Rachel out and it was hours later she actually died. John arrives 10 minutes when the traffic jam is all there. He sees my car rolled over, leaves the boys in the car. You know, they were traumatized, traumatized through this experience. And I plummeted into a very dark place. I was filled with shame. I could not understand how I could have taken such a terrible decision in that moment. How could I have done it? What got into me? How will I ever be able to face anybody again? I had so many questions. The months went by and it was so dark. I started throwing up my food. I hated myself. I became bulimic. I'd been bulimic as a teenager, but I'd been healed from that. And now there I was again, hating myself. And the months went by and John recalls how he thought I would never smile again. And um, and it, it was just such a terrible time. But I would uh, seek the Lord. And it wasn't, I always felt God was with me, but I just had so many questions and I was in such a bad way. I didn't think that I would ever be able to face somebody again and help them in any way. I had no confidence. I would go to the school gate. Our children had been at the same school and I felt everybody was talking about me. Um, I'd been in the local newspaper. Little Rachel's death had been announced there and I was the mother who had killed Rachel. And, um, and so I, I would go into the guest room and I would cry out to the Lord, how could this be? How could you have allowed this God? What's happened? How am I gonna recover? I'm never gonna be free of this. This is terrible. I can't live. I just want to die. I'm, I'm you know, I can't cope. And, um, and then months went by and I had a sense of the presence of God in the room one night. And I felt Jesus come to me and it was as if he was on the cross and I was kneeling before the cross and he said, Debbie, you can go one way or the other. You can continue with the questions. You'll never have answers. You will never do the things I've called you to. Your family will pay this price. And then he said, but all you could let me take Michelle's grief. Let me carry the burden of Michelle's grief. Let me take the shame from you. You are forgiven. You are free. And before I could actually even think about how amazing it was if that were possible I felt a blackness ooze out of me into the cross and something lifted something changed and I just felt myself in the presence of the Lord with such an intense sense of his unconditional love it was an intimate passionate moment where I felt totally loved by him and accepted and then I felt him say Debs don't lose the plot you're going to Nottingham and I came bounding down the stairs John John we're going to Nottingham we're going to Nottingham and of course, for John, it was a bit of a shock because I was his nervous breakdown wife. What was I thinking? And uh, so he said, well, you know, it, maybe this is the Lord. But Debbie, let's wait. Let's wait for other people to share any prophetic words. Let's wait to hear the Lord. I need to hear the Lord as well. And I agreed with him. That was fine by me. We needed to wait. And the weeks and the months went by and we started to have a bit of conflict because I felt the urgency. And partly because I felt so different. 
As I would go to the school to pick up the children, I felt a lightness, I felt a confidence. I wanted to find someone who was on the margins. I didn't care anymore what people thought of me. I wanted to find someone, maybe someone was in the midst of an adulterous relationship and they needed um, a listening ear to try and help them understand why had their marriage got to this state? Why had they chosen this path? You know, somebody who would come with unconditional um, love and understanding. And I felt like I had a whole new approach to life. And I felt so different that I began to wonder whether these words about going to Nottingham were true as well. And as we were having conflict one time, as the months had gone by, John cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, speak to me or speak to John Mumford or shut Debbie up. <laughs> and, you know, within a few days, John Mumford came to see us and he said, the Lord's impressed upon me. I need to let you go. And we were able to say the Lord's already spoken. We're going to Nottingham. Within a few months, we were in Nottingham starting a brand new church with three other couples who came with us. And um, our church was birthed. From a crisis, God often births new things. You know, Jesus affirms this understanding that we can have, that he is there for us in these times. He's our saviour. He is the overcoming king. And there's uh, another scripture I want to point us to where Jesus um, is affirming the, the, the saving power of God when he's lovingly explaining to his disciples in uh, some of the chapters in the book of John, in the gospel of John, where, you know, around chapter 15 and 16, he's explaining to the disciples that he is going to have to leave them. He's going to leave them and they're going to enter a time of difficulty and persecution. But he is not leaving them alone. He has to leave them because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then in chapter 16, he says this to them. And I just want to read what he says. He says, I have told you these things so that, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's told them, he's prepared them that they're going to face challenges. The Lord would say to you and to me today, you're in the midst of trouble. You're in the midst of a huge crisis and a challenge. But in me, you can have peace. I have overcome the world. And you know, a key little couple of words there is in me. It's so crucial that we understand that we can only overcome in Christ, in him. We must stay close to Jesus at this time. It has been my practice during these weeks to be even more intentional about my time in the presence of the Lord Jesus, my time in just closeness with him, just being uh, strengthened by him. When he says take heart, we can't take heart in our own strength. You know, the word take heart actually in the Greek is translated pharsaic, which means courage. This isn't a come on, take courage, buck up pull yourself together. No, no, no. This is a courage that we gain from being bound to the one, the overcoming king. It's, it's the sort of courage that a sailor um, can gain when he binds himself to the mast of the ship in the midst of a storm or to the wheel of the ship. He, he binds himself to something much bigger and stronger than himself, such that when the waves are tossing the ship around, he is not going to be thrown overboard. He is strong because he's bound to something stronger. So the Lord is saying to us, uh, in me, bind yourself to me. That's how you're going to be able to take courage because I am the overcoming king. He is the one who overcame. He overcame death. He is the one beaten, bruised, bloodied, nailed, spat on. The one who was dead and buried, but he overcame death. 
The sting of death has gone because he was raised, raised to life. And now he is ascended. He's in heaven. He is seated on the throne. He's interceding on our behalf. He is our God. He is the God of Israel, the Holy One, our Saviour. Now, you know, God did an incredible work in me. Uh, out of that crisis, God did something, changed me. And that story has been very much part of the journey of our church. And it has helped many people understand that, that we haven't had it all together, that we have suffered and come through, through our relationship with Jesus. But, you know, you need to know that Michelle also, uh, the mum who lost Rachel, Michelle also gained strength through her intimacy and connection to Jesus during that time. You know, uh, Michelle went on to appear on television programs talking about the power of forgiveness, how unforgiveness holds us in a place of bitterness and traps us, and how she was able to forgive me. And that was an amazing gift to me, though I had to go on my own journey with the Lord to come through the shame and the guilt. Nevertheless, her forgiveness was incredible. You know, shortly after the celebration of little Rachel's life, the funeral, I went to see Rachel and her husband, Ali, who at the time, Ali, her husband, uh, with a Muslim background, was not a believer in Jesus Christ as his saviour. But at the time, they were doing a spring clean in their house, and I came in to find the front door wide open, and I knocked on the door, and I said, Michelle, Ali, I'm here. And they said, oh, come, come in, Debbie. We're in the sitting room. And I went into the sitting room, and they were sitting on the sofa looking um, as if they were in some sort of a state of, of euphoria. And I thought, wow, this is strange. They're grieving, you know, and they seem to have such a peace about them. And they recounted what had happened to them that morning as they started the spring clean in Rachel's bedroom. They were tidying up her things and sorting through things that they might give away, uh, things that they might keep. And then they found a huge butterfly in little Rachel's bedroom. And they opened the window to let the butterfly out. But the butterfly, instead of going out, it came back in the house. And it flew around different rooms as they tried to open windows to let the butterfly out. It went down the stairs in the hallway and into the sitting room. And finally, in the sitting room, they opened the window and the butterfly flew out. And they looked at each other, Rachel, sorry, Michelle and Ali. They looked at each other and they said, that's like Rachel. Rachel's free. And as they saw the butterfly fly out of the window, into the spring air, into the flowers and the trees and the breeze outside. They felt that was a picture of their little girl that they were having to release to the Lord. And they shared that with me. And I thought, wow, in this time, they're sharing something that is bringing them strength. They're opening up their hearts to me, the undeserving one. And it was a help. Uh, it didn't solve it for me at that point. It went For me, it went on for months of darkness. But I could see that Michelle was on her own journey. And uh, during last year, we got together. She was living, She's living abroad now and, uh, and was able to tell me just so many things that the Lord has done. And of course, uh, Ali, shortly after Rachel died, he actually gave his life to Jesus. And you know, now they live abroad and they're helping to build a local vineyard. In fact, they have helped build the fabric of the building. So God births new things. He does new things from crisis. He's always at work. He's catching our attention right now. He's, it's a wake-up call. There is a, an awakening going on in our nation. He's waking us up to sort through some of the things that we thought were important. He's maybe asking us to throw idols aside, things that we thought were very, very important to us. He's saying, that's not important right now. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Am I your saviour in this time? Will you turn to me? Will you gain strength from me? 
And folks, we have so much to offer our friends. We need to take our place. We need to shine for Jesus at this time. We can have peace. We can take heart. Jesus is the overcoming King. He is our God. He's the Holy One. He is our Saviour. Now, what I'd like to do now is invite the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching, whether you're alone, whether you've got friends or family that you're actually uh, living with, whether you're in your bedroom or in the kitchen or the sitting room, wherever you are, I want to invite you to open up your hands, maybe adopt a posture of openness to the Holy Spirit. We're gonna welcome the Holy Spirit and we're gonna have a little moment of quietness and I'm gonna welcome the Holy Spirit and you may sense the Holy Spirit. You may feel a peace come upon you in the midst of this time of anxiety. You may feel a sensation in your body. It's fine if you do, it's fine if you don't. We call them, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what, what we call them, but anyway, it doesn't matter. You may feel something, you might not. But um, I'm just gonna pray now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you that you are the comforter and the counselor. Come to us now. Come, Holy Spirit. He's with us. He's not constrained by space or time. Breathe him in. Welcome the Holy Spirit. We welcome your peace right now, Holy Spirit. If you've been suffering from anxiety, you might want to put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, come. We, we ask that you would release us from anxiety. Some of you may have suffered from nightmares, night terrors in this time, not being able to sleep. Some of you may be experiencing grief and loss. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you love us. Jesus, we welcome you. For some of you, it's a refreshing, it's an empowering. Holy Spirit, empower us to take our place in this time. Empower us to shine for you, to bring hope, to do our part, Lord, in every way that we have to um, be, whether it's in the work, whether it's at home, whether it's amongst our neighbours. We want to represent you, Lord. Empower us to do it. Empower us, Lord. And right now, some of you may be suffering from various stiff joints, stiff necks, from anxiety. And so right now, I just want to encourage you to begin to move some of those parts of your body. Very gently, don't force, don't force anything. But you know, some of you may not have been able to lift your arm up because it was so stiff and we just speak release to joints now just maybe begin to move those joints just begin to move them and you may well find that release comes thank you Jesus thank you Lord I just bless you and I I just extend my hands towards you I bless you in the name of Jesus if you're together with someone else you might want to put a hand if someone has a physical condition or uh, something in their heart their mind you might want to touch them and just bless them we welcome you Holy Spirit and so I just leave you with great blessing. God is your God. He's my God. He's your God. He is our Savior. 
through Jesus Christ, the overcoming King. We can have peace in him. We can take heart because of him. God bless you all.